Good, if you've got a Bible, could you turn to Romans chapter 12 for me? Um, before we, we get there, um, just a reminder, because it was quite busy when we were running in, that this is our week of prayer starting tomorrow. It starts with a 6.30 a.m. prayer meeting on Zoom, which we'll be having throughout the week. And those are great. If you can um, get up for that, please do. They're phenomenal. And we'll be sending out the details of um, the Zoom codes and all that kind of stuff later. And then tomorrow night, we've got our prayer and praise here, 7.30. And then do sign up for the day of prayer. What a great way to start the year by just committing 24 hours as a church family, uninterrupted prayer from your homes. Sign up for an hour slot. Sign up for two hours. Sign up for three hours slot if you want to go for it. Um, Or... If you go, I'd love to do it with my family, but we can probably only do 20 minutes. Why do you get three families together and do 20 minutes each? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Let's be creative. Um, Great. We are doing this series called Hope DNA, where we are exploring what makes us us. As you walk through the coffee lounge on the wall, you'll see that we want to be an authentic community of extravagant worshippers shaped by the word, moving in the spirit, driven by prayer and serving our community. And last couple of weeks, we were looking at what it means to be an authentic community. We haven't by any means said all that there is to say about that, but we spent the last two weeks exploring that. The next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what it means to be extravagant worshippers. Extravagant worshippers. And by way of kind of introduction, I'd love for you to turn to the person next to you, the people around you. And I want you to imagine that we're looking for a new worship pastor. Uh, maybe that was an audition today, Dan. I don't know. Uh, we're looking for a new worship pastor. And it is your job. You are heading up the recruitment team. And so I want you in your pairs to ask this question. What would you look for in a new worship pastor? What would you look for? What kind of skills and characteristics and all that kind of stuff would you look for in a new worship pastor? Couple of minutes. Go. Okay, then, you HR gurus. Wasn't that funny? Uh, okay, what we look for in a new worship pastor? A people person. Nice. Want a people person? Someone in tune with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay, so someone who's in tune with the Holy Spirit can hear what the Holy Spirit's doing, help lead people in the Holy of Holies. Yes, Cody. Enthusiastic. Yeah, you might want someone enthusiastic as a worship pastor. Someone who's got a vision for worship in all its forms, everywhere across the congregation and, and beyond. Someone who's humble. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, great. I'll, I'll add that to the job description. Um, fantastic. Now, when we think of worship, no matter how long we've been in church, how many times we've heard someone preach from Romans 12, we all think of this. We think of, this is my Google image search of Christian worship. We think of singing. We think of praying. Uh, we might think of uh, ministering to one another. We might think of how we listen to preach. Basically, we think of what happens in this room on a Sunday for an hour and a half. And so a worship pastor or a worship leader is someone on the stage like Dan, like um, the girls here. Thank you so much. The harmonies were epic today. I like the key drums, all that. The people on the stage who are leading us in doing this stuff. That is a worship pastor. That's a worship leader. 
But what if I were to say to you today that you are called to be a worship leader? That you are called to be a worship leader. In your family, you are called to be a worship leader. In college, with your friends, you are called to be a worship leader. In school, with your neighbours, your next door neighbours, those down your street, people in your community, you are able to be a worship leader. In your workplace, with your colleagues and your boss, you might not have a leadership role in your workplace, but you are still called to be a worship leader. If you haven't got to Romans 12 by now, uh, you probably never will. Um, so I'd love for you to have that open. And I've asked my wonderful friend, Rebecca, if she will come and read Romans 12, 1 to 2. Come on up, Rebecca. We'll put the words on behind you as well so you can follow along. Good morning, everybody. Therefore, I argue you, brothers and sisters, are through of smartity to our fellow bodies as living, starfights, honey and flattened to dust. This is law true and proper wardrobe. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the ruling your mind. The Lord will be able to test and approve what does will it he does, platted and perfect will. Amen. Thank you so much. <laughs> Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it says to us. And we invite you to come speak to us through it this morning. Thank you, your word is living and active. And we ask that we're cut to the heart of the matter this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Therefore, I urge you. Now, if you've heard me preach any length of time, you'll know that when a passage starts with the word therefore, you've got to see what it's therefore, yes? So therefore, in view of God's mercy, there's something that has been going on before this passage that builds up crescendos with this passage that we need to understand if we're to understand what true and proper worship is. We need to know what the therefore is therefore. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we did a bit of an overview of the entire Old Testament to look at community and how that shapes its, its way out in um, the whole of the Old Testament. We're not going to do that today. We are going to do that with the book of Romans, which is Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the masterpiece of Paul's writing. And we're going to cover Romans 1 to 11 in the next five minutes to see what the therefore is therefore. You ready for it? Let's go. So Romans chapter one uh, starts, Amy, come here, please. Starts by Paul talking to the Gentiles. And uh, the Gentiles are non-Jewish people. Um, and uh, the Jewish folk didn't really like them at that point. 
And uh, he makes it really clear that the Gentiles are guilty. Uh, so they have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Uh, they have exchanged um, the knowledge of God for worshipping idols. The Gentiles are guilty, which brings us on to Phil, the Jewish community in Romans chapter 2. And you might be thinking, well, the Gentiles, well, they're, of course, they're a bit scummy, aren't they? Uh, but the Jewish, they're going to have nailed it. They've got the law. But the problem with Romans 2 is it says they also are Guilty. Uh, the problem is they have the law and they judge people who don't follow the law, but they also make the same mistake. So their hypocrisy is what Paul condemns them for in Romans chapter two. Now, not a very cheery start to the letter, is it? If you're non-Jewish, you're guilty. If you're Jewish, you're guilty. But let me explain it to you like this. Imagine you go into your doctor's surgery and uh, the doctor says, I said, see, you sit down. And then they go, great, I've got some great news for you. I don't know if you've just seen BBC News, but we've just come up with a cure for kidney disease, everyone. A complete cure. And here's a pill that you could take and it will cure all kidney disease everywhere. You go, that's great news. But what has that got to do with me? What has that got to do with me? You see, what the doctor needs to do is to go, come on in. We've got your test results back. And you've got some problems with your kidneys. And it is quite serious. But here's the good news. Take this three times a day, you'll be fine. You see, the good news is only good news because you know the problem. The good news of Romans, and guys, it's good news, is only good news if you know the problem. And the problem is all of us have fallen short. As Romans 3 puts it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whoever we are, whatever our backgrounds, however put together we look like we have it, whatever our ethnicity, whatever our orientation, whatever our gender, whatever our demographic, whoever we are, all of us have fallen short. We are all guilty, but Romans 3 goes on. And all are justified freely by the grace that came through the redemption by Christ Jesus. You see, would I stand on there? You're very welcome, Steve. It says only Jesus can save us. You can't save yourself by the law. You can't save yourself by doing good stuff. Only Jesus can save us. And he goes on to talk about how he died on the cross. He took our guilt on himself so that we could be forgiven and could be free. Romans 4 goes on to say that means, Mags, that we are, come, come on up, that we are, it's a complicated one, justified. That means it's all your sin is gone. Next one. You're justified. How? By faith. Oh, and by the way, this isn't a new thing. Abraham was justified by faith as well, all the way back in the beginning. By trusting God, Abraham was justified that the forgiveness available by Jesus was given us as we trust in God. Romans chapter 5, Sean, come on goes on to say that because of this, we can have peace with God. We're not his enemies anymore. But not only peace, that we have hope of eternal life. That one day we will go and be with him in the place where there's no more sin, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Romans 6 tells us that because Jesus has risen from the dead, so we have been risen to new life. We have life. We don't have to follow the old way. We don't have to live in our sin. We can follow the resurrection life of Jesus. 
But not only are we free from sin, Romans 7 tells us that we are free from the law. We'd have to earn our way into God's good books. It's a gift that's given to us. And then we get to Romans 8. Come on. That says we are spirit-filled children of God. We're adopted into his family, given his Holy Spirit to help him live the new life. And then Romans 9 to 11 in a quite complicated passage talks about how, you can come on up, how the church now relates to the people of Israel. What does that mean for the people of Israel? And it says, we've been grafted in to the people of God. And that though they might be jealous at times that God has blessed us as the people of God, there will be revival among the people of Israel. You get a good one, don't you? Therefore, Romans 12, because of all of this, in view of God's mercy, because though you were guilty, you've been saved and justified by faith. You have peace and hope of a new life. You're free from the law. You're filled with the spirit. You've been grafted into the people of God and there will be revival in the earth because of this, in view of all of this stuff. We do what? We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, we have a vision of worship that looks like this. And that's part of it. But worship is saying, because of all of this, because of the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God, I'm in. In all of my life, whatever I do, wherever I am, I'm in. You see, worship doesn't start with us. It's not us whipping ourselves up into a frenzy on a Sunday. It's not us gritting our teeth and trying really hard. Worship starts with God, with what he has done, with who he is, with his kindness and grace and mercy given to his people. Guys, you can take a seat. Thank you so much. Give him a round of applause. See, worship is a life dedicated to God. A complete life. Everything we do dedicated to God, saying, because you've given me so much, there's nothing I could give back that could outgive what you've already given. I don't have to earn it. And I give everything back to you and say, come and do with me what you want. And you know what? When we worship, when we give back to God, we're not giving back to someone who's stingy. We're not giving back to someone who just wants to, like, like a leech, just wants to suck all the worship out of us. We're giving back to someone who's given us all of this. But to do this is going to mean you look different to the world. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Don't look like the rest of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is good, pleasing and perfect will. If you live a life of worship, you're going to need a new mind. You need to see the world differently to how the rest of the world sees it. You need to see your finances differently. You need to see 
your relationships and your marriage and your house and your kids and where you live. You see it all differently. You need a renewing of your mind in order to live the therefore, to live the life of worship. And then God, Paul goes on from Romans 12, chapter, verses 1 and 2, into the rest of Romans 12 and 13. And what he does, there it is, um, is he, he lays out a few different things this life of worship will look like. A few ways it's different from the world. He says first that we are to serve one another humbly. That we don't use our gifts to elevate ourselves. We use our gifts to bless others and to elevate the kingdom. We serve one another humbly. We honor one another consistently, even when they are not being honorable. Even when it is hard, we try and speak well of people. We try and see the best in people. We pursue them even when they make it really hard. We submit that we don't like this one. Submit to authority. That where God has placed authority, we honor that in as far as we can in accordance with our faith. If they say you're not allowed to meet as a church anymore, then feel free to ignore. But we still do it with respect. We love one another continually in the good times and the bad, when it hurts and when it's happy, and we live for eternity. We don't have a short-term view of things. We have a short-term view of our possessions or our family or even this community or our finances because we know we can't take them with us. We, we live for eternity, seeing what can we do now that we invest in the kingdom that is to come. Worship is a life dedicated to God, committed to God. And that means, guys, you can be a worship leader even if you can't sing very well. And I know some of you can't sing very well. <laughs> you, don't <have> to, <laughs> you don't have to be able to sing well to worship. You can go into school tomorrow morning and how you relate to the people who are struggling, who feel isolated. That's every bit as important as what happens on here on a Sunday morning. You don't have to be able to play the guitar as well as Dan does. Because the way that you speak to your spouse, the way you prioritize their needs and their flourishing in your life, God takes that as worship every bit as much as the words you sing here. The way you're patient with your kids, that is worship every bit as much as what you do up here. You don't all have to play the drums like Molly, thank the Lord, because I don't think many of us could. <laughs> to be worshiping God. Because when your boss is being really unfair to one of your colleagues, the way you try and address that with your boss and you do it humbly and respectfully, that is worship. What you do with your finances how you treat your grandparents, how you speak to your neighbours, how you get involved in the parents' WhatsApp at your school, your sex life, your house. All of it is part of the life of worship, the life of honouring God 
that God has called you to. Thing is, we can fake it here on a Sunday for an hour. But tomorrow morning at 11 a.m., where your colleagues being a prat and you haven't had your second coffee yet. Can't fake that, can you? A couple of colleagues over there having a little chat. <laughs> That's awkward. You can't fake a life of worship. But it's very easy to go, okay, so what I gotta do, I gotta try harder. I gotta try harder. That's not my message to you. My message isn't try hard. It's not be better. It's not do more. My message to you today in the picture I've got is I want you to be a sunflower. We got some sunflower seeds. Or our daughter did for her birthday. Her birthday's over the Christmas period. She got given some sunflower seeds. It's lovely. Um, we tried growing sunflowers last year with mixed success. I think it would be fair to say. Turns out uh, sunflowers actually need sun. Uh, <laughs> which you didn't have a lot of last year. And when you put them in the shadiest place in the garden, it doesn't really help, does it? <laughs> but do you know what a sunflower does? As it grows, that's north, right? Which makes that east. The sunflower faces east in the morning. And then as the sun tracks across the sky, the sunflower follows it all the way all the way to the west. And then at night, it goes back east and does the same thing the next day. If you were to ask a sunflower why it's so beautiful and wonderful and full of joy, it would not say, I grit my teeth and I clench really hard and out pops the yellow bits. That's not how a sunflower would say. A sunflower would say, well, I follow the sun. And even when I can't see the sun, when it's behind the clouds and it's raining, I follow where the sun would be. On the good days and the bad, I follow the sun. It gets its beauty by the fact that it follows the sun. If you want to live a life of worship, you don't get it by clenching your teeth and trying hard. That will bring change for a little while. If you want to be transformed, you need to follow the sun. You need to fix your gaze on Jesus in the good days and the bad days, when you can see him and when you can't. And if you're just trying and trying and trying without the fixing your eyes on the beauty and the glory and the kind of the Romans 1 to 11 stuff of Jesus, if you're not fixing your eyes on him, it's just legalism. You just get tired and burn out. Fix your eyes on Jesus. David knew this. One of the greatest worshippers of the Old Testament, he said this, Psalm 27. One thing I ask in the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I want to live a life of worship. I just want to worship. I want to gaze on the beauty and the kindness of God. I want to gaze on his majesty. He knew that daily encounters with Jesus was the trick to him living a life of worship. And you know what? As you look through the, I was just thinking this in the prayer meeting this morning, as you look through the Bible, we see that encounter leads to transformed life. Isaiah, I see the Lord high and lifted up and his train fills the temple. The next minute I'm gonna go for God. Saul, 
encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus changes the course of his life forever. Jacob wrestles with God. His life is changed. Abraham meets with God, becomes the father of many nations again and again. And yet we try and do this Christian life of worship thing without the encounter. Yet every day there's an opportunity for encounter. And I'm, I'm relatively good with the morning stuff. And I'm not great at the evening stuff. Let's start and end our days by encountering Jesus together. And tracking him across the day. As we gaze on his beauty, we will be changed. And maybe you're here today and you've taken your eyes off Jesus. And maybe that's because life's got really hard. Maybe it's a deliberate thing. You're kind of holding him at arm's length because you're cross with him. We've all been there. Or maybe it's just you've drifted and your eyes have just dropped. Next week, Maggie's going to talk about what happens when we come here on a Sunday. And that's going to be great. But it's so much bigger than that. If you want to live a life of worship and imagine if this church fully sold out for God. Little fires starting up everywhere. If you want to do that, we've got to fix our eyes on him. And maybe what you need this morning is a little encounter with Jesus. For him to remind you who he is, what he's done for you and how much he loves you. Maybe there's an area of your life where you recognize you're not honoring him. And I'm not going to probe into that. If you know it, you know it. Because the Holy Spirit's prompting you. I just say, there's no room for shame. We just come back and we go, God, I'm sorry. Help me fix my eyes on Jesus again. I want to be different. I want to change that habit that I've got into that addictive pattern of behavior. I don't want to do that anymore. Help me change. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus. So we're just going to allow a bit of space and see what Jesus wants to do. Why don't we stand? If we're able to come and comfortable to stand, let's stand. Maybe the band want to come up. What we're talking about at heart is a life of gratitude. And in a minute, we're going to sing a song that kind of reflects that. And you may know it, you may not. That's okay. But let's just allow some space. And if you're here today and you know, I need an encounter with Jesus today. I'm just going to ask you where you are. Just pop your hands out in front of you. It's just a posture. We're saying, I want to receive from God. I need more of him today. And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us and help us see more of Jesus. And so we wait. Father, you call us to worship. This is what we're here for. And you call us to live a life of worship. But we need you.
So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and minister among us how you want to. Breathe afresh on us, Lord. Breathe afresh. Father, where there's tiredness, I pray that you would come and fill us. Where there's disillusionment, I pray that you would come and fill us with a greater sense of your presence and your goodness. Pray for those who feel like they've distanced themselves from you, Lord. Lord, thank you. You're welcoming with open arms. Help them take the first step. If you're here and you're going, I've stopped worshipping in this area. I need to come back. Just in your heart now, just say, I repent. I turn from that. I want to follow Jesus. Father, I pray for those who are here who are on the cusp of something new, about to step into something new. Would you fill them with a vision of your goodness and your kindness? Holy Spirit, come. It's time we're just seeing in response. Just want to encourage you if God's doing something, stay in this place, stay where you are, ask Him to keep going. If He wants someone to pray with you, just tap someone on the shoulder or head to the back, and someone will love to pray with you. Let's just enjoy all He's done for us. <laughs>